This is Chris Nessie, founder of the Education Podcast Network. ISTE 2019 is right around the corner, and we're hosting an Education Podcast Network meetup. Come out on Sunday, June 23rd at 6 p.m. at Pat's King of Steaks and meet all your favorite Education Podcast Network podcasters and connect with other listeners. We're going to have an old-fashioned cheesesteak challenge. We're going to eat at Pat's. We're going to eat at Geno's. We're going to have a good time, talk podcasting, and we'd love to see you there. Come out on June 23rd at 6 p.m. if you're going to be in Philly for ISTE 2019. I look forward to seeing you there. Now, back to the podcast. Hey, welcome back. Recently, I had a listener who uh, contacted me and said, you know, I'd really like to hear something about IEPs. Well, guess what? I got that today, and you're going to love listening to Margaret, Amanda, and Terry talk about the IEP and the IEP process. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking with Terry, Amanda, and Margaret, and we're going to be talking about IEPs. Cool, huh? Yes, this is awesome because I got a lot of experience sitting in front of me. So right now, ladies, say hello. All right, so now you know I'm not sitting in the room by myself. All right, so here we go. Let's, talk, let's go through some bios here. Dr. Terry Young is the director of East Central Georgia Learning Resources System, or GLRS, where she provides technical assistance and trainings on special education-related topics to administrators, teachers, and support staff for the 10 school districts in the heart of Georgia-Risa region. Through Dr. Young's leadership, the East, General, the East Central Georgia Learning Resources System, you say that three times fast, won the Aspire Leadership Award in 2015 for piloting and leading the region in the statewide student-led IEP initiative. Terry holds a bachelor's degree in early childhood education and master's and specialist degree in special education with an emphasis in behavior disorders. Terry's doctorate degree is in elementary and secondary administration. Terry believes that all students can learn and that it is through effective leadership and teachers building positive relationships with students that true teaching and learning occur. Say hi real quick, Terry. Hey, everybody. Amanda Amerson is a program specialist with East Central GLRS, where she provides professional learning on special education-related topics to administrators, teachers, and support staff for the 10 school districts in the heart of Georgia-Risa region. Amanda has presented at many state-level conferences and collaborates with multiple state and local agencies to improve outcomes for students with disabilities. She has a master's degree in special education and has been a special educator for 23 years. Amanda is passionate about education and believes that through collaboration and excellent teaching, all students can reach their highest potential. Say hi to everyone, Amanda. Hello. Excellent. So now you know Amanda's voice. Margaret Higginbotham is a fourth-year special education teacher at Montgomery County Elementary School. She has been teaching the preschool intervention program since July 2015. She was awarded the 2016 Special Education Teacher of the Year during her first year at Montgomery County Elementary School by her peers and the 2020 Montgomery County Elementary School Teacher of the Year, as well as the, the District Teacher of the Year. Congratulations, Margaret. That's awesome stuff. Yeah, Margaret credits her success in the classroom from her knowledge of raising multiple children with significant disabilities, as well as her leadership roles both locally and statewide. She is able to connect with her colleagues, administrators, students, and parents because of her personal and professional 
experiences. As the mother and educator of multiple children with disabilities, Margaret's expectations are high for all her students. She's often heard saying, room 314 is not a daycare. We work hard and we play hard. She believes that every child has a capacity to learn and it is her role in the classroom to help facilitate that learning. She strives daily through differentiation, collaboration, and varying instructional practices to help students discover their gifts and talents so that they can become active members of their community and build lifelong relationships. Margaret collaborates with her peers to develop both both learning and social strategies so that students with disabilities are able to access the curriculum and find success both in and out of the classroom. She's passionate about student learning and often seeks out new ways to differentiate her instruction so that students can reach their maximum potential. Teaching is not a job for her, it is her calling. Say hi to everybody, Margaret. Hello. So glad to have you here. Glad to have all three of you here. All right, Margaret, so you got to tell me. I love what you said here, which is room 314 is not a daycare. We work hard and we play hard. What's this referencing? Because the students that I teach are three and four year olds, and they uh, all of them are eligible under the significant developmentally delayed category. So, oftentimes, when you think of a teacher that teaches three year olds, you especially with disabilities, you think that perhaps um, there is no learning going on in the room, that we're just there to provide a service for parents, a daycare, take care of them, feed them, and send them home. When in reality, uh, my lesson plans are very rigorous uh, even though they're three they're exposed to both pre-k kindergarten and first grade standards um, I, I always plan with the end in mind and I always tell people that I'm here to work myself out of a job my job is to get them out of my room and into a regular aid classroom as much or um, as little as possible whatever is is the most appropriate placement for them so yeah I you know, they see my cute little ones walking down the hall, and they're like, oh, look at the baby. And I'm like, she's not a baby. You may not pick her up. Um, she has to walk, that kind of thing. So that's what we – it's it's the little slogan around there, 314 is not a daycare. Cool, and I understand. And I do understand that reference, too, because, you, you know, a lot of times people do think that, uh, you know, it, it's, just, it's just play, right? Right. They think we play, but there's always even purpose in play. Uh, when we have center time, they get to choose, but it's learning how to take turns. Um, in the afternoon, uh, we have independent study time, and on Mondays, they're board games. Um, but that teaches them how to take turns and wait their turn. You have uh, They read to each other, and none of my children can read, but it's teaching them how to turn the pages of a book, left to right progression, where's the front of the book, where's the back of the book. So they're making up stories. They're using their language to communicate with each other. And so while they can't read, read it as we would think it needs to be read. They truly are experiencing um, what it means to begin to read and beginning to explore books. So there's always purpose in everything that I do in the classroom, and we're always uh, thinking about how we can do things better, uh, and so we don't, so our learning um, doesn't get stale, and our kids don't get bored, and sometimes, you know, the best ideas sometimes don't work out, and so we just revamp it and look at another way we can do it. Well, that's cool. Thank you very much for explaining that. And what I'd like to do, Terry, real quick, is if you would explain what uh, GLRS is. GLRS stands for Georgia Learning Resources System. We are a network of 17 centers across the state of Georgia. Our purpose is to provide technical assistance, resources, and um, training for students, teachers, well, primarily, excuse me, teachers, administrators, and parents of students with disabilities to improve the outcomes of students with disabilities. Excellent. Thank you. 
So one of the things, Amanda, that you do is that you uh, talk about uh, providing professional learning for uh, administrators, teachers, and support staff. Uh, what's one of your favorite topics to teach? IEP development. Cool. Imagine that. We're all talking about that today. Absolutely. <laughs> nice. And so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about the IEP. And we're going to talk about IEP development. We're going to talk about a little bit about uh, questions that a lot of times parents have and teachers have. So I appreciate you all being with me here today. And, uh, and we're going to get into this. But before we go any further... Amanda, I think earlier when we were talking off mic that you were sharing that uh, there is some information that parents and teachers should understand about each state and their localities. So could you share a little bit about uh, um, something they need to be aware of? Sure. Um, every state department of education has a, a program for special education. Um, within those programs, there are implementation manuals. There's FAQs that teachers can go in and parents can go in and download um, free of charge and, and look at that information to get, get what's relevant to their state. Awesome. And so one of the things I'll do in my show notes is I'll include links to uh, Georgia's because we're, we're in Georgia, in the state of Georgia. So that'll, those of you in other states or in other countries could take a look at, uh, you know, know what you're looking for in those other states and those other areas that might give you some idea. So excellent. So just as a side note, this is like the little asterisk at the bottom of the commercial that you can't read, right? <laughs> well, we're making it so you can hear it and read it. That there, there are differences. We're not saying we're experts on everything across the world world, but uh, we are talking about some general types of questions with IEPs and understanding uh, what, what its purpose is, what, the, uh, what you should have some general understandings about, and, but you do need to know that it uh, does differ on its locality and so forth as to how they are addressed, and, but there are ways of finding that information out. So hopefully that helps. So with that being said, and thank you, by the way, I appreciate that. So who wants to start? Let's talk about, first of all, what is an IEP? An IEP is an individualized education program or plan. A lot of times we call them a program because it really spells out um, exactly what the student needs to know, where they, their services are provided. Um, and this is specifically for students with disabilities that have been identified um, under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act as a student having um, one of those identifying disabilities. Very cool. So with an IEP, with that being explained, is that state or federal or is a combination of both when we talk about laws? It's, it's a federal law. Um, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act is a federal law. Every state has a governing body, as we talked about earlier, um, that interprets that law and puts out resources and manuals for teachers of students with disabilities and parents and administrators to be able to go and understand how to write um, those IEPs. Um, and so that they're legally compliant. We have to be compliant. Excellent. So, Margaret, let's turn to you for just a second, and let's have you put on a parent's hat. And so can I get you to uh, just the first time that maybe you had to participate in an IEP, you know, what do you think one of those questions is that's, that's going through a parent's mind about an IEP? Oh, goodness. Um, my first IEP was when uh, my son transitioned from Babies Can't Wait into the school system and into a preschool intervention program, much like the one that I teach now. And he will be, or he just turned 24 in March, so it's been a minute. But I just remember feeling very overwhelmed. I felt like my voice didn't matter. Uh, we were in a larger system. Uh, and I didn't know any of the rules or regulations or laws. I basically did what they told me to do uh, or what they recommended be done for him. And I left that day 
among a lot of IEPs um, feeling very hopeless. And I felt like uh, I didn't know where his future was going or how I was going to even make it or what he was going to learn. I felt like my voice didn't matter. So that's probably my earliest memory uh, of an IEP meeting for him. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, so Terry, let's let me get you to to talk a little bit about how could schools help address those concerns that Margaret just talked about from a parent's perspective. The idea of not knowing or you know being you know a little bit of um, you know concern that I really don't know what this is this is about and not having a voice and so forth. Right. Um, I think the scenario that Margaret just discussed is is fairly typical, unfortunately. As an administrator, I think schools and school districts could do a lot more to help parents feel more comfortable. I think when parents walk in the schools and in an IEP meeting, we forget that parents don't always know the alphabet soup that we throw at them, such as IEPs, that's Individualized Education Plan. We start talking about functional behavioral assessments, BIPs, FBAs, and they're so overwhelmed. First of all, they're so overwhelmed at their child um, being called in. They're being called in for a meeting. They may not understand. So I think it's very important that school administrators and teachers make the, the parent feel very welcomed when they walk in. You know, the school climate, it should be very warm. It should be very welcoming. They should feel a part of that team. Very often, um, parents come in and they feel very intimidated by the ties and the suits sitting at the table and that's fine to be well dressed I think a a teacher administrator should be properly dressed that's not what I'm saying but um, to make that parent feel like that we care about that child and that we feel that we want the very best for that child and not speak down to the parent and sometimes our tone comes across very condescending and um, I don't know we 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 talk in a in a way that sometimes the parent may not understand so it is very important to build relationships with that parent firsthand and up front and foremost because if that child has a disability if it's an eligibility meeting if it's the first time meeting with that parent on any type of meeting it is so important to build those relationships with those parents because we will be talking with those parents for many years to come possibly or you know it doesn't matter we just should build relationships with parents and it's it's critical it is essential um, to be in a good place with that parent so that they will feel comfortable talking with us. Thank you. All right, so Margaret, tell me a little bit about, uh, you heard, we just heard Terry talking about the importance of those relationships. So now let me get you to switch from, from parent hat to teacher hat because you've talked, you have, you wear both those hats. So tell us a little bit about how important that, that is to have those relationships between the teachers and the, and the administrators and the, and the 
parent. Okay, I'm going to preface this by saying that, again, I am the mother of a child with a disability, and I have been in IEP meetings long before it was my responsibility to um, help develop them. So I come from a very different and unique perspective than most educators do. Um, So when I develop an IEP, when I get a student in my room, my first thing is I always want to develop a relationship with the parent. Um, I have an open door policy. We talk. You know, I want them and I'll say to them, you know, this isn't my job. This is my calling. I'm here to help you and help your child and your voice matters. Uh, I always carry a picture of the student during my IEP meetings. I have a picture in the middle of the table so that the meeting stays focused on the student because uh, I don't want anyone to lose focus as to why we're there. It's usually a picture of them doing something really great that their parent may or may not know that they can do. Um, or engaged in an activity that they really think is super fun or super cool. Uh, So I I keep that. I give each of my parents um, a North Star binder, and in that binder it has dividers where they can keep all pertinent information. These are things that help build their capacity. If I'm only building their child's capacity and helping them learn and I'm not teaching the parents, then my purpose isn't fulfilled. Um, If I'm going to educate them, I need to educate the parent. It has the alphabet soup in the back. So when we start talking in our special ed jargon that we do, they can remember, you know, I saw that. It has a copy of their parental rights. Um, I stop momentarily and ask them, do you have any questions? If I know something in the meeting may upset them, I will contact the parent prior to the meeting to talk to them about it because you don't, I think the main misconception is IEPs are filled with We focus so much on the I can't that we never, ever speak of the I can. And it's doing a disservice to the the parent and to the child because I don't want to spend an hour with you hearing what my child cannot do. You know, Hunter Heath is a 16-year-old male with fragile X syndrome. He can't toilet independently. He can't tie his shoes. He can't walk to the water fountain without smacking somebody. I mean, I know that he struggles in these areas, but if you could just tell me that he sat in his seat two minutes and didn't get up or that he colored within the lines or that he started a load of laundry or that he solved a math equation using Hershey bars, I don't care. Like just something that's going to give me some hope for the future. And I try to conduct my IEPs in a way that honors the student and it honors the parents and it builds that relationship because ultimately I am with their child eight hours a day and my words and my actions and how I carry myself matters to them and it matters to those students. That's powerful. That's awesome. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I thank you so much for sharing that, Margaret. That's that is awesome. The uh, you know it's and I I'm gonna get you to reflect on something. Something you just said that I love is that you put that picture out there, and I mean that that is so important. Uh, you know, remi- trying to remind everybody that this is not filling out a paper. This is about this child and their successes and helping them be more successful. Um, which I think is so cool. And I really love that part about, uh, you know, when we're so often it's, it's can't, 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 can't. And you're talking about can. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that. So, so Amanda, Margaret just talked about, you know, the idea of she is a teacher. She puts that picture out there and she has the, she focuses on what the student can do. And she's trying to get the parent to see there are things that are these positive aspects that are going on here. How do you teach that? What do you, what do you teach to administrators and teachers? I mean, what do you do? 
Well, we're at absolutely in a phenomenal place right now, especially in our area in the heart of Georgia region. Um, we have um, Aspire Project, which is active student participation inspires real engagement. This coming up year, we have a new project coming out, um, self-determining learning model of instruction. And it really pushes that a little bit further and actually has the student participating in the IEP meeting themselves. So they're coming in and they're showing their their parents what they can do what they have learned some of the students that participate in this um, do powerpoints um, portfolios are are brought in if if it's a class that has more significant um, students with more significant disabilities sometimes they're modeling that they can hit a switch and activate a, a voice activated device where they have their own voice now for some kids that really um, have some communication problems so we're we're all about having the students participate dr michael waymeyer i'm going to reference him terry and i had the the opportunity to hear him speak last week and he, he threw out this that so so far with the, the history of special education has been a medical model. And he said sometimes we need to think about it in more terms like a human model that all of us sitting around this table have a jagged profile that dependent upon the context in which we're operating, we have strengths and weaknesses. And that's the same thing with the students that we serve. They just happen to have a label attached to their disability. They have strengths and weaknesses. Um, and, and actually having that student participate and showing what they're strong in has made such a tremendous difference in our area, not only for um, that parent engagement piece that we have parents that are walking away happy and you know didn't have the same experience as Margaret did. You know They know, they understand, they see their child um, function at a level that's appropriate for them and then pushing that forward to giving them access to that general ed environment and really um, making progress so we've done we've done a lot in our area with student participation in the IEP meeting it's made a, a, a huge difference for all the team members um, that come in to write an IEP excellent excellent all right so is it's all about somebody's not paying attention to them if they're doing it wrong and they need to have somebody come in and visit um, and that's what I found once I've hired the right person to come in and monitor and then start realizing what needed to be changed. All right, so I, I got this question in my head. And the question that I have is, what do you think the first thing is that a teacher should learn about an IEP? It's a legally binding document. And anything that's written in the IEP has to be provided to the student as it is written. Gotcha. And by the way, I want the audience to know that when I first proposed that question, all three of them responded with that answer. <laughs> So, so just so you know that this is, uh, it, was, it was immediate. That was the first thing they all said. So cool. So what do you think, I, I, I would think that a administrators, someone who's working with teachers in, in working on IEPs and understanding the IEP development, that you got to make sure that you, you say that in the beginning, right? Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about a legally binding document. What's one of the things that you got to make sure that when, you, when you're working with teachers that they understand you know, how, how does that look when you, when you do an IEP? What does that look like? What's one of the things? Because we're talking about accommodations and modifications, right? Right. So can you d just describe that a little bit about what we're talking about here, kind of in general terms when we talk about legally binding document? So if, if a student has a specific accommodation written into the IEP, 
that it has to be provided and these these things accommodations modifications assistive technology all that jargon that's there there are specific things for example something easy ex extended time um, so the student needs 30 extra minutes per test to, to be able to um, complete it appropriately um, then that has to be given to that student no questions asked um, it, it is legally binding. You have to provide the accommodation as it's written in the IEP. Cool. So one of the things that I want to make sure that I point out here, that means that it's important for the teachers to attend the IEP meetings, right? Absolutely. And we're talking general ed, special ed. We're talking about any teacher that teaches the student, any, any personnel that touches the student, teaches the student, you know, provides those services to those students, they have to provide the accommodations, modifications, assistive technology. Excellent. So, okay, so let's talk about this, and we're just going to talk in generalities first, all right? And then I know that we're going to get more specific, but one of the things I can imagine that is, you know, a little angst creating or a little bit of scariness is that, you know, there, this is about planning and it's about coming together to plan, but that initial meeting where there might be a lot of people sitting in a room and then the parent might feel like, and me. <laughs> and so can you talk a little bit about what a planning meeting is supposed to be about? And I think you're going to read, you're going to read us something, right? Right. I am. Um, I'm prefacing some material from our Georgia Department of Education. It was a, a PowerPoint that really talks about, it talks about, um, like the initial process so every local education agency um, for special education has the responsibility to do child find so we the the premise behind that is we're going to catch them early we're going to put a lot of services and support around students that may have difficulty um, and then we're going to exit them hopefully so this this setup is the, the local education agency does child find they identify locate and evaluate a student suspected of needing special education within that process you have to do parental consent so a, a, a school can't just go well i think johnny has or Susie has a disability, I'm going to assess them. No, we can't do that. Um, we have to obtain parental consent um, before the evaluation. And we also have to give them, as Margaret was talking about, procedural safeguards, those parent rights that, that's so important. And I'm gonna also say that for, for me as a teacher, I'm gonna explain those rights to those parents. I'm not just gonna give them this document. I, I'm gonna try to talk them through what this means. After the parental consent is obtained, um, interventions, if appropriate, are conducted during that whole time because we wanna see how that child's operating. We wanna see um, what things have worked with the child, what things have not worked with the child. And then uh, they go through a uh, a comprehensive evaluation process. They can't just have one particular assessment and say, oh, you're a child with a disability. That assessment process is very, very comprehensive and it looks at many, many data sources, which is a whole training in itself. Then there's an evaluation report and that has to be complete completed within those within 60 days. So within special education, there are specific timelines that everything has to operate and fall under. Once that happens, you have an eligibility meeting and a report that comes with that. And within 10 days of that eligibility, um, you conduct that eligibility meeting to determine if that child is eligible. That is a team process. 
it's not one person say oh yes this child is eligible for special education that in itself also is a team process um, parent consent if eligible is obtained um, for special education services and then you have to invite the parent and notify the parent of the meeting early enough for them to participate and then after that IEP is developed within 30 days and implemented as soon as possible so um, it is a process and this is for those initial evaluation and eligibility once that happens then um, the IEP is written then that has to be updated at least annually if the student is not making progress within that IEP a district or a parent can call and say you know something's not right we need to reconvene this IEP it's not appropriate at this time um, so you can um, amend the IEP um, before the annual review but at least annually you have to have an IEP meeting every year once a child is found eligible. Gotcha. And, I, and so I think one of the things that's important to, to point out is that uh, it's a process, but there's, a, there's an initial phase which has to do with uh, identifying and, and collecting the information. Right, absolutely. And, and looking at the information that you have. I mean, it's not just something, oh, I think they have a disability, and boom, there it is. There are specific guidelines for each disability area. Um, so it's, it's a complex process. It's not something that's, that's easily um, looked at. Excellent. Thank you. So, so, Margaret, let me ask you a question. What advice as a parent who's also experienced these from the teacher perspective would you give to other educators about participating in the IEP process? Oh, goodness. I would absolutely say to make sure that the meeting isn't focused just on what the student can't do. Make sure that you're looking um, at assessment data. Make sure that you're objectively looking at, um, you know, how they interact with their peers. Make sure that you include the parent in the developing process. You don't, a teacher should never come to an IEP meeting with a final copy of an IEP. It's something that you all um, should develop together. I send out a questionnaire to my parents. It could be, you know, pick four things that you want to know from your parent about the student. Uh, some of mine say, where do you see your child's strengths at? Where do you see your child's weaknesses at? What are your hopes and dreams for your student and your child? Because what their hopes and dreams are, of course, mine are three and four, are still as valid as my students are. And include that information in the IEP meeting. What goals would you like to see in their IEP? And some of my parents had, have given back. And what I think was most important isn't really what the parent sees as the most important thing for them. And it's not that I can't include what I feel is necessary to include, but their voice needs to be heard. And if a student is old enough and they're able to provide you with feedback and say, what are your hopes and dreams for yourself? What goals would you like to see? Children are able to tell you what their weaknesses are. One child said, I said, what are your strengths in school? And they, you know, they told me and I said, what do you think your weaknesses are? And they said, paperwork. And what they meant by that were the worksheets that they have to do. They right. And they truly struggle with the worksheets. So, And that was a child in kindergarten. Children are able to tell you and, and communicate with you where they are at if we just ask them um, and then use that information to uh, develop 
a meaningful IEP and then always letting the parent know that if they have any questions or if they want to reconvene earlier than the year, as Amanda said, it's a living, breathing document. Just because we meet on it today doesn't mean that you have to hide it in a drawer until next year when you get a meeting notice. Look at it, you know, and and call a meeting if you have any questions or you feel like you need to um, to meet with the committee again. And the other thing is that, you know, as a teacher, I look at last year's IEP and I look at the one I'm, I'm looking at for this year and I look and I compare the goals and I compare where they're at. Have they made a good deal of progress? Have they not? Did I set the goal too high? You know, if he could only count to five last year and I told him he needed to count to 75 this year, was that a realistic goal for me? You know, sometimes we as adults want them to get here but we have to realize that we have to meet them where they are and help, you know, carry them to where they where they need to be. And we have to meet parents. We have to meet students. We have to meet other uh, professionals, other teachers, other administrators where they're at and then help walk them through the process. And I think that's important. Thank you so much. So, Terry, tell, tell us a little bit about the bigger picture here, because I think one of the things that we need to make sure of is not only do teachers need advice on this, but I think administrators do. What, what do you think about that? From an administrative standpoint, I think it's very important that administrators, principals, um, whomever in the building, um, know that it's very important that special education teachers, regular education teachers, whoever has access to that student that is teaching that student, has access to that special education, that child's IEP. For example, when Amanda was talking about the accommodations, if the teachers do not have access to the IEP, then how will they know that that child needs extended time um, or, or whatever accommodations are needed? So that would be one of my tips. Another thing is they need to be familiar with the special education rules um, such as continuation continuum of services the LEA must be involved in the IEP now I know that administrators are very very busy and cannot probably attend every IEP meeting but an LEA must be involved in an IEP meeting um, an LEA being someone that is knowledgeable about the services that are available at the school level, district level, or someone that commit can commit those services for the IEP. So um, an administrator should know the continuum of services available at the school because at the end of an IEP, it should start from a regular education all the way down going through those continuum of services. Another thing would be being very, very familiar with the policies and procedures of the special education department so that that administrator can help monitor. Earlier you were talking about being compliant. It's very important that the special education department teachers be in compliance with IEPs and special education rules and regulations that will help that overall district's special education director and department be compliant. So um, it's just very important that everyone be on the same page because it is such a legal issue if a parent were to question the IEP. So those would be my tips for administrators. Cool. Thank you. The, you know, one of the things I think that's important here is that what's coming out of all of this is that 
and I think it's important. I want to reflect back on something Amanda said a minute ago, which is you talked about the the certain specialists talking about this clinical model and that's been out there. And I think that's part of what, Terry, that probably gets administrators in trouble is they're not thinking about it. It's they're not thinking about it like the doctor who doesn't have bedside manner. I think that's the best way of putting this is that as administrators and as teachers, when we're working as educational professionals with parents and and children, that sometimes we get stuck in our brain that we just got to get through a process as opposed to remembering that the receiver of the process needs to feel like you're on their side and it's not just something you're doing and then going to get a cup of coffee and say, check, did that, and I'm going to do the next one. Paperwork is so important in special education as in everything. It is federal requirements, and unfortunately there is a lot of paperwork um, with special education, but it is a requirement. But as you said, it's not just a checkoff. It is to have policies and procedures in place to make sure that our students are getting the services that they need. Because keep in mind, like Margaret referred to earlier, and I love her example, it is about the child. It's about the face on the table, the picture of the child. And sometimes we lose sight of that, I think, and when we're talking about data and we're talking about academic achievement and we're talking about, of course, we want all of our students to achieve, but when you get down to it, if you'll think about if that were your child sitting there at that IEP, um, what if they were talking about your child and if you really own that and think about as Margaret, um, if you only talked about the negative, if you only talked about what they couldn't do, let's talk about what they can do. And the policies and procedures that are in place are for the benefit of our kids. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. So, you know, just like what's, you know, we talked about this at the beginning, that there's this whole alphabet soup thing. And I think it's really cool because Margaret talked about she provides a, a, a document or a notebook that uh, helps uh, the uh, uh, the parent understand what these words mean. And already you've heard a couple. So, Amanda, help remind us again what an LEA and then ultimately the IEP. Okay. And if you want to throw another one in there that sure. you know is common, go ahead and do that. Absolutely. So an IEP is that Individualized Education Program or Plan. Um, an LEA is the Local Education Agency. And when Terry was referencing that, um, that is that agency representative. So it's somebody at the school level or district level that comes in and sits um, in that IEP meeting to um, help the team understand the resources at a local level, right? Um, other things that a parent might hear is FAPE. FAPE is free appropriate public education and every student with a disability um, is entitled to FAPE. Um, we often talk about um, FAPE in regards to the IEP. The IEP allows a student to have FAPE. So the IEP is the mechanism for which we are providing that free appropriate public education. And we provide that in the LRE, which is the least restrictive environment. Um, so those are things that we hear all the time, LRE, FAPE, IEP, LEA, um, amongst many, 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 many I was to say, that's, that's a good explanation of those because I appreciate many, that. Many others. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's all part of, I mean, the, the reality is, is that we have terms that need to be used because it, it, it creates a commonality so that a, even though there's going to be differences by localities, by states, 
There are um, some common terminologies, and there's some great websites, and I'll be happy to share with you um, that that really have the alphabet soup. Um, spelled out so that's really great and so those of you listening right now you don't have to uh, um, stop pull over whatever you're doing stop your exercise whatever I'll have those links in my show notes to some of those those uh, um, websites that uh, man is talking about all right so we're, we're kind of bringing it to a close and, and I hope that you understand as an audience this is meant and I thank so much for my listener who uh, uh, gave me the idea to have this today she asked if uh, um, we could have this topic and uh, um, here we are and that that was a result of a listener saying hey I'd love to have you talk about this so thank you very much and anybody else got some ideas I'm, I'm game here all right so Amanda we're kind of bringing this to a close what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to kind of talk a little bit about this let's reflect back on some things and I'm gonna get Margaret to comment on this as well but some aspects that really kind of personalize and make this more about the child the, this process and getting out of that you know that clinical sort of just approach to the IEP Can right. you? The, the IEP is about the student, so the student should be at the center, um, whether it's like Margaret and she has a, a picture of the student sitting there or like through our Project Aspire where the students are at, actually brought in, they're presenting who they are. We have no better information about the student than the student themselves, especially as the student is getting older and can voice have a voice about what works and what doesn't work for them. Our accommodations and modifications become so much more effective when the student can say, this is what I need in order to be successful in this environment. I, I need the piece of software that, that reads to me. I need to be able to have um, a piece of software that I speak into and it, it, it prints it for me. Um, for us to be able to educate the student and the parent, then, then it becomes more central, just completely about the student um, when we bring them in and, uh, and allow them part to, to participate. Excellent. So, Margaret, do you want to kind of – Give us some examples, too, and just kind of finish this out there. Absolutely. Um, as you all know, in Georgia, we like to eat. And so if you break bread in Georgia, you're practically family. So a lot of my students love to bring snacks. It's always it's always their choice. I give them, a you know, do they want to introduce someone or the committee? Do they want to bring food or snacks? Do they want to do a thank you note, an invitation? I had one student... Uh, do a thank you note to all the participants of their IEP meeting. I had one student who wanted to dance, so we allowed her to dance. I had one student who showed his mom for the first time that he could write his name independently. We've had chocolate Pop-Tarts. We've had brownies. We've had cupcakes. And in an upcoming meeting, we're going to have pizza and Mountain Dew. Uh, and attached to um, the pop tarts, I would ask them questions like, you know, what do you want to do when you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What are your hopes and dreams? What do you think your strengths are? What are your weaknesses? Um, what about school makes you happy? What about school makes you sad? And those little tidbits of information, the information I gathered from the student was attached to the cookie or the brownie or the pop tart. So each committee member, um, you know, they got the food, but they also got a little more knowledge about. Um, who this student is and you know I say I bring a picture and and at the beginning of the meeting I'll say you know we're here to discuss such and such as annual review and I'll lift the picture up no one sees it when they walk in and I'll say you know they enjoy 
dinosaurs or they love baby shark or they enjoy playing on the playground their favorite food is spaghetti just some little facts that really don't have much to do with school perhaps but just some things that you know some committee members may or may not know so that maybe someone could find a commonality you know a teacher may have a a child at home their own child that loves baby shark or that you know loves pizza and dinosaurs um it makes them feel a valid part of the meeting. You know, for me to say, we're going to have a meeting and your mom is going to be there. And it's not a meeting because you've been bad or anything. It's actually a meeting to discuss how wonderful and how smart you are. And you get to be there. And I want you to participate. And how would you like to participate? And I've had a lot of them that just say, I want to bring a snack. But then when we get there, they start introducing everyone. And they're like, who's that? And and, and it's just, it's fun to see them take ownership of some of a meeting that you know everyone feels is almost you know tense you come in you're just like and they just ham it up and they love it and the parents feel good about it because now they've seen their child in a leadership role I mean they have their own chair they're not sitting in mama's lap and they're going around you know and facilitating that I have one student who did pictures and she discussed her pictures and it was, you know, it was good for me because I got to see them in a leadership role, but their parents got to see them in a way that they don't get to see them at home. And that's powerful. And 10 years from now, when they're at the high school level and they're able to communicate what their needs and wants are or say, you know what, that extended time really doesn't do me any good. I don't like it. I can get it done in the time that I need it need to be done. But what I really need is this. Then, you know, sometimes it's not up to us to see the fruit of our labor sometimes we're just the seed sower or the weed puller or the waterer so that down the road they can bear the fruit you know that they were destined and purposed to bear Um, so some of them I may not ever see anything from what I've planted but I know that what I've planted was purposeful and I know that one day it will come to fruition that's awesome and for administrators um, this is steeped in research but around self-determination so these, this keeps kids in school. So you have increased graduation rate because we've made them self-determined and given them leadership roles. And academic achievement goes up because they know how they learn best and they're able to articulate that. So it's a win-win. Awesome. And shout out to the Heart of Georgia region because our special education directors were one of the first to get it district-wide a few years ago, which is why the Leadership Award. So it has called on, and hopefully we'll be getting, uh, hopefully, a grant to get it even more spread. So it's awesome. Very cool. So we're, we're kind of coming to a close now, and what I'd like to do before we, because I think that's a great place to uh, – um, bring the, this main part and and you know and we may have to, to look at doing a part two to this so just just know that uh, I may be coming back to you and saying all right let's take this and let's let's get a little more specific so just know that I, I'm thinking that right now so uh, with that being said nobody's saying no <laughs> okay good that's good anyway um, the uh, so what I'd like to do is as I'm bringing it to close I like to ask uh, educators uh, a couple of questions, and one of them goes like this. So I'd like each of you to respond to this question, if we could. If you had, if you had a chance to talk to 100 brand new teachers who are just getting ready to start their first day of teaching, what's one piece of advice you would give them? 
Well, I'm going to echo um, a cousin of mine. She lived to be 104 years old. Wow. She went into special education when desegregation happened. Um, after she retired from being um, an educator, she taught adult literacy. And I asked her the same question, and I agree with her. Um, and it's patience, that we have to be very, very patient and very, very kind and always, always think about that student and what the student needs. Powerful, awesome advice. Who wants to go next? I would probably say, uh, this is my motto, that only apostrophe uh, separates impossible from I'm possible, and that even if you have to dig deep, it is our responsibility as educators to unearth their gifts and their talents and their knowledge so that they can be successful both inside and outside the classroom. Excellent. Awesome. 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 I would say build relationships with parents and um, your students. Sometimes what you see going on with a child um, with behavior, uh, my background is in behavior disorders. I came from, um, my background is in um, behavior disorders and I work for GNETS, which is Georgia Network of Educational and Therapeutic Supports. I work with severe behavior disordered students. Sometimes what you see is misbehavior or as misbehavior is something rooted deep within and there's a reason for the behavior going on and there's always a purpose to behavior i would suggest that you look and see and watch and try to determine what that reason is and all kids deserve love and attention thank you awesome advice i appreciate it all thank you very much so last question and it goes like this do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? And if so, who would it be? And what would you say if you had a chance to say thank you? My favorite teacher was Libby Nepper. She was my second grade teacher. She could get me to do anything if she sang. And I had a horrible time learning how to write in cursive. And she would stand over me and try to mimic what I did to correct that problem. And she just showed me lots and lots of attention that I needed at that time. Awesome. Okay, you have to humor me for a minute. <laughs> okay, so I grew up very poor, and we moved practically every time the rent was due. So I went to about 14 different schools in my school career. So statistically, I'm not even supposed to be a college graduate. But I don't, I'm not good at math, and I never did like it anyway. So, um I, I never stood in one place long enough to get attached to a teacher or have someone recognize that we were sleeping in our car or we may be in between places, um, that kind of thing. I grew up in Virginia, and the only reason that I came to Georgia was because we were homeless and my dad, you know, lived here. And so mom loaded us up and, um, and, and came to Georgia. So um, when thinking about your question, I felt kind of sad that I didn't have, like, this wonderful teacher that, you know, just... That was my aha moment. So I thought about my life and things that have happened since Hunter um, has, has graced this beautiful earth. And my answer to your question is I don't have a teacher as far as like a human teacher, but I do have um, an aunt that taught me a great lesson. And I don't mean like an aunt as like my mama's sister. I mean like an aunt that you would see crawling. And I'm going to read you this story if you would just humor me momentarily. Go right ahead. All right, I'm going to read it because I don't want to leave out any part because I think it's important. Years ago, when I worked at a bank, 
I would go to the top floor of the parking deck and sit in a corner to eat my lunch. It was quiet there and I could relax and just enjoy the weather without having to entertain anyone. So one day while eating, I dropped a piece of crunchy Cheeto on the ground beside me. I went about eating my lunch and decided to pick it up after I was finished. However, there was an ant that had different plans. I sat there and watched as a small ant came out of a tiny crack in the concrete and picked up that piece of Cheeto. The Cheeto was significantly larger than the ant, but he picked it up and he began to take it back to his home. As he arrived at the entrance, he found that the Cheeto was slightly larger than the crack, and so he began to work with it. He moved the Cheeto around to different angles until he finally got it in. I thought this was amazing, so I told one of my friends, and then I asked this question, how can an itty-bitty ant pick up a big old piece of Cheeto? Expecting to hear the scientific explanation, I waited, and he replied, no one ever told him he couldn't. I thought about what he said, and I knew that he was right. There was no one there who said, oh, you're too small, you can't do that, or you just need to leave that there and let the bigger, more experienced ants get it. He did it because failure was not an option, and he did it because he believed that greatness comes when you stop saying that things are impossible and start saying I'm possible. Wonderful. That's very cool. Thank you. Okay, I had a fourth grade teacher named Miss Miller. It was her first year teaching. And I guess I was, I don't know, eight, nine years old, whatever age you are when you're in the fourth grade. It's been a long time ago. But anyway, my mom was going through cancer at the time and was having some surgeries. And I wasn't doing well emotionally. And I wasn't a child to act out behaviorally, but I was very withdrawn and didn't want to do my work. And had my head down on my desk a lot. And I remember crying and um, just not doing well academically and um, emotionally. So Miss Miller noticed that, and so she came up to me and was very comforting and um, asked me what was wrong. And she talked to me and she comforted me and just took the time to find out and talk to me what was going on and rather than send me to the office or call my dad or scold me or give me zeros um, she took the time to find out what was going on with me which is why I'm big with talking to students and finding out what's wrong um, because children really don't really care what you know until they find out that you care so That's my favorite teacher. Awesome. Thank you so much. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. Margaret, Amanda, Terry, it's awesome having you here. I appreciate your information. I appreciate you sharing. And I look forward to, because believe me, you're going to get an invite for part two, because we're going to need to do a part two. And I thank you so much for sharing your personal stories and your thoughts and ideas. And uh, enjoy your day. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. 
Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V, and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google Voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now.